0: Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast, where Welsh rugby matters. We like to think we bring you the occasional first on this podcast, and this one is a first for me at any rate. I'm going to be presenting this episode all by myself, flying solo, no co-host, so do bear with me. Hopefully it goes all right. Anyone who's been listening over the last few weeks will know I've got a newborn baby girl, and uh, yeah, households with newborns are prone to a touch of colic. But it's a touch of Killick that's caused me a bit of problems this week, uh, as Dan is unfortunately not available to co-host with me. And none of the usual co-hosts, Yestin and Steph and uh, Craig and the other guys, Murph, were available to do it. So I'm afraid you are stuck with me. But don't despair, there is so much to talk about. We've got the CVC influx of money coming to the Pro 14. Wow, what a a topic this is to try and tackle on your own. And then we've also had the opening weekend of European rugby. The Ospreys played in the Champions Cup, uh, home to Munster, and also the other three regions were in action in the Parker Pen Shield, or the Challenge Cup, as the organisers like to call it. And uh, yeah, three wins there for the three Welsh regions. So It's not all doom and gloom when it comes to Europe, even if the Ospreys did have a bad start to it. In amongst all this as well we've got the announcement that Sam Warburton is set to be taking on a consultant coaching role with the WRU so he's going to be involved with the uh, with the Wales national side which is a really really interesting appointment going to have a little think about that see what see what that's going to mean for the national side, what it means for Wayne Pivak, what it might mean for Byron Haywood. It's a really, really interesting appointment and I think potentially a very shrewd one as well. Anyone who's listened before will know what a big fan of Sam Warburton I am, but we will be having a look at that and seeing what it means. Uh, I say we, me, but fortunately we've got a load of great listeners questions that have come through as well. So big thanks to to anyone who sent those in, I'll be getting stuck into those, and uh, yeah, we love doing this. Actually, myself and Dan have really enjoyed over the last few weeks, really just opening the show up to you and having you as the listener dictate what we talk about. Because it's all very well kind of us sitting there and, and chatting about what we want to chat about, but it's just so much better when when it's the listeners calling the shots. So, whenever you've got a question, get it into us at attacking scrum on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook as well. If Instagram's your thing, then feel free to do it over there. Twitter, to be honest, is the one that I spend the most the most amount of time on. So if you have got a if you have got a, a question that you want us to answer, then if yeah, if you can, make sure you ask it on Twitter, and that's probably just the easiest way of making sure that it doesn't get missed. And yeah, loads of you have done that today, so that's fantastic. We'll have a load of those to get stuck into before we get underway. Big thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee, and uh, yeah, this if you're not aware is the the coffee company that is run by the Ospreys hooker Scott Otten and it's really great stuff I'm not just saying that because they sponsor us Scott sends me me bags of the stuff and it is great it's exactly the kind of stuff that a father struggling to get any sleep needs to get going through the day so yeah if you need a little pick me up in the morning or you just like the taste of great coffee then make sure you head over there and you're supporting a young Welsh business as well so what could be better than that so right on to the big stories of the week. I suppose really CVC is the place where we have to start. This is something that myself and Dan have speculated over for a long time. It's been it feels like close to a year that they've been perhaps circling around the Pro14 and will they invest? If you've not heard of them before, CVC are a, a private investment company some call them venture capitalists so they come in invest a lot of money into a into a business usually with the the aim of of selling it on now any fans of formula 1 will be familiar with them because they were they were heavily involved with that before selling before selling formula 1 a couple of years ago and also any fans of English rugby will know that they've made significant investment into into premiership rugby so we know that sport is a big thing for them. We know that they like to come in and pump money into uh, into sports, and it looks as though somewhere in the region of 35 million is what we're expecting to come towards Welsh rugby. Now, that will be going via the union, which I know has upset a fair amount of people, where there is a certain degree of distrust, perhaps, between the regions and the union. I have to say, I think, looking at it, hopefully objectively, Although I'm a Dragons fan, ultimately we always try and be objective on this podcast and offer some balance. I, I can understand why why fans of the regions would have a distrust of of the union because of the way things have been run in the past, and you know perhaps look at that big sum of money and think they'll continue to run the regions on a shoestring. I really hope that isn't the case, but at the same time, I hope that it is not. It doesn't go the other way, and we have a huge amount of money thrown in over a short period of time, just chasing short-term success. I think there is a really good opportunity here to try and build sustainable club rugby within Wales. We know that the regions have been struggling financially. You've got the Dragons, who were were taken over by the union a few years ago. Uh, We've also, you know, we've seen the the mooted merger/slash takeover between the Scarlets and the Ospreys last year, which doesn't help Cardiff Blues, constantly making the headlines because their books make such bad reading. And really, you know, this is this is an opportunity to try and set some of that right. I think what we what we've had in the past, this is the way I see it anyway, is in two thousand and three it was dictated from the top down that club rugby with with nine ten professional clubs in Wales was not going to be. Achievable in order to in order to help the national side, regional rugby was was kind of put into place. There's no need to retread all over that that ground over again because we know that a lot of people felt alienated by it at the time. But we're now a long a long way in the future, and the national side has been in good nick for for the best part of a decade. And that is the bit of that is the bit of the the union that really is that is kind of the cash cow now. I would like to think that the WRU are sensible enough to look at the team Wales setup up and realize that it's built on the foundation of players who've come through the regional system. So I really hope that they they will look at this as an opportunity to invest in those regions. And I don't I, we've, said, we've said on the last couple of weeks that there's a few the squads aren't as strong as they need to be. And you know, particularly we're looking at the Ospreys and the injuries they've got. But then there's also not the right recruitment in those regions. And I, I think this this really is an opportunity to kind of get those things right. There's no point just going out and chasing marquee signings and bringing, you know, bringing Kieran Reed or Sonny Bill Williams into into one of the regions and him playing six or seven games a season. Yes, it's great for a bit of PR. It might get a few more. People down to the Arms Park or wherever to to go and watch the odd game, but in the long term that is that isn't going to help. I think what what is needed is investment in that in that structure so you can keep these young academy products coming through. Ideally, keep them in Wales for longer and remunerate them properly. But also this this money has to go into into producing young Welsh coaches who are able to to help players develop, and that I think is really really important. I also think, we said this last week, clubs, the, the regions have got to be smarter in terms, of their, in terms of their recruits. So just chucking money at it and saying, right, go out and, and get the players you want is, is not going to help. You know, In the short term, that might help. It might help bring a, a few quality signings in, but that, that isn't going to help in the long term. Regions have still got to be incredibly shrewd. So you know, I would like to see some of this money get spent in, in bringing in top quality, really shrewd um scouts if you like really good talent scouts who are au- able to go out there and make sure that the money is being spent really really wisely and bringing in players who are going to enhance enhance the strength of the squad and you yeah, the, the the players like we like we mentioned last week the the burns of this world who have been let go by let go by Leinster came into Scars, made a massive impact. Yes, he's gone at the end of his contract after three years, but what a huge impact he made during that time. Again, still within that same region, players like Asquith and Kennedy made a massive impact and, you know, they're kind of players who are knocking around the sevens circuit and they're the kind of players that I, I think we need to be really, really shrewd with the regions and bringing them in. So, I think that's that is what's needed is yes add some depth into, into some of these sides and, and make the product better but it's not just about going out and having a massive spending a spending spree in the short term. Have to make sure that this money is an opportunity to turn these regions into much more sustainable businesses. And I hope that I hope that that's the case. You know, if you have a look over the bridge in England and see how that how that money's been spent without wishing to open up too much of a, a can of worms and what's happened with, with saracens. You know, they've they've been on the, the receiving end of a big, you know, big healthy check from CVC, and again, a lot of that money has gone into into players, but they, they, again, it's no secret that a lot of those English clubs were hugely in the red, you know, really with the exception of Exeter and for a long time Northampton, a lot of, again, apologies if I've forgotten any sides, but off the top of my head, you know, a lot of those sides racked up big, big debts and we just simply can't afford to do that in Wales. We don't have the independent investment to come in and, you know, for someone to come in and bankroll the side. It just doesn't look as though anyone is is willing to do that. So here is a really good opportunity with CBC investing money in the game in Wales. Now, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their own hearts. Rest assured that that's not the way these these companies operate. They want to make this league bigger and better. Now, that might be that Actually, with the 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 improved um, playing squads, means that it becomes more competitive. There might well be a rejig in the in the rules of the tournament, or what's been mooted uh, in the in the summer is they may be looking now. They hold uh, whatever is a a 27% share in the in the Pro 14 and a significant share in the English Premiership that they might be looking at creating some kind of Anglo-Celtic competition. Now. However, this works. They are going to. They need to create a product that people want to invest in. Now, with the greatest of respect to Premier Sports and the likes, you know they've they've come in and they've invested in the Pro 14 in terms of the the TV broadcast deal. That I don't think is going to cut it with CVC and how much they wanna they want to see back on their investment. So I think something you know something like an Anglo-Celtic tournament or a British and Irish League, whatever you want to call it, that is something that I could see them as seeing as a really big, shiny new competition to go and sell a massive TV rights deal off the back of and and see some of that money coming back. So this I don't think is an opportunity for for the regions to go out and, and piss the money up the wall on, on whatever players they want. Nor do I think, and again, maybe I'm being naive here, but I don't think that the union are simply going to use it and, and pocket all the money themselves. I think they'd be foolish to do that. This, to me, is a really a really good opportunity to, to make those regions stronger, and, and hopefully that's the way it's going to play out. But I would be really, really keen to hear what you think, so let us know what your opinion is on this CVC money. Do you think the British and Irish League would be a good thing? Do you think that actually what I've been saying is rubbish, and the region should go out and strengthen their squad, or actually are you are you one of the people who who feel a lot more cynical about the union and just think that they're not actually going to invest any of this money into the region and they're they're going to sit on it or it's going to go elsewhere? I know the quote from Gareth Davis said that uh, it, it's not just it's not just the regions; that also there's the grassroots game to be looked into and the women's game and there's a I think you referred to it as a, there being a lot of males to feed and that is the case so it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one but at least there is some investment coming into the game other than just the you know other than just the the kind of the the constant flogging of the national team and playing more and more test matches so really do hope that this is an opportunity to to play this one wisely and improve the club game in Wales and the union w- will need to recognize this because without without those clubs continuing and producing great talent then there's not going to be a, there's there's not going to be that influx of talent to, to populate the national side so hopefully that is going to be the case but that is that is undoubtedly the big story of the week but uh, yeah, let us know your opinion on those ones before we go on and talk about europe though i Want to have a look at some of the listeners' questions. So again, thanks to everyone who has sent um, who sent some of these in. And again, there's some really, really interesting stuff uh, in there. Um, Chris, who has sorry, has tweeted us in, wants us to talk about the appointment of Sam Warburton. We're going to come on and do that. Uh, Mighty Murph, who had time to tweet me earlier but didn't have time to come on and co-host this with me, wants us to talk about Sam Warburton's appointment. Uh, does it portray a lack of confidence in Byron Hayward? We'll come on to that too. Uh, but let's go with this one and let's talk about let's talk about Europe for a minute. This is from Ian Alexander, who thanks again, Ian. I know he tweets in most weeks, which is great. He says player welfare is tantamount, of course. Paramount, maybe there means player welfare is paramount, of course. But how can the Welsh regions compete when they're shorn of their best players for the first couple of rounds in Europe? The crowds were ridiculously low, and I blame a chunk of that down to the home stars being absent. Really tricky one. I do think that it comes down to the first part of that, though, and that player welfare is paramount. You know, you've you've only got to have a look at that squad and, and the mammoth shift that they put in during the World Cup. You know, we've already had the news this week that John Davis is going to be out for six months. Rhys Patchell is going to be out, probably going to miss the Six Nations. Liam Williams, of course, got injured out there. Navidi got injured out there. Hadley Parks is held together with with sticky tape and sticky back plastic and everything else. I think these, these players need a massive rest. I would perhaps say that maybe the... I would say the criticism... If it's going to go anywhere, it should go towards the European organisers in holding it so close to the end of the tournament. I think that I think really that the union has kind of got to protect these players. You know, they they've put in such a massive, great shift. The other thing I'd say, and it kind of pains me to do this, is that it's only the Ospreys competing in the top tier of Europe. And when I say competing, I mean it in the kind of the loosest sense. they they're in there. I'm not sure how much of a priority it is for. It is for the Ospreys right now they 've got a horrible injury list themselves, and judging by the starting lineup that Alan Clark put out at the weekend you, you saw the impact that those players made when they came off the bench really I think you could look at a good few of them and say they probably should have started and it would have kept them more competitive in that game, but I get the feeling he's wrapping a few of these players in cotton wool because the league is more important and from a financial perspective, they need to qualify again for the top tier of Europe in order to in order to keep the keep the kind of the the bigger paychecks coming in. So I, I can kind of to me, I I think if I was looking at it and saying which of these things as much as I feel for the regions in it, I think ultimately you've got to feel for the players more and say these players need a need a good break. And the other thing is with three of those sides competing in the Challenge Cup, really it's it's one of those competitions that is still trying to find its place in the calendar, I think. If you win your first couple of games, you think, right, we're on something here, we might pick stronger sides. If you lose a game or two in your first in your first three fixtures, you tend to think, actually, I'm going to rotate my side and and play the kids and use it as a bit of a development tournament. And so I, I think that, that that also kind of counteracts it and says it's more important that we look after players rather than seeing... Rather than seeing Ross Moriarty come out and, and play for the Dragons after he's had a hard World Cup shift, I think it's more important that he gets a rest. Fortunately for the Dragons, they've got they've got Super tame Basham in there, and he's uh, and he's had a, a stormer of a game and brought home the rarest of things, a Dragons victory. But more on that later. So it's a really tricky one. You know, three out of the three out of the three Welsh sides in the Challenge Cup got wins, so it hasn't affected them on in terms of getting a result this weekend. The Ospreys, yes, they would have benefited from having those players back. But imagine if Tipperick or Alan Jones had got injured in those games out of kind of fatigue, it, it would have it could have, it could have completely derailed their season. So I, I get what well, I get why why fans are are really annoyed about it. And it's easy for me. I, I make kind of no secret that, that the Welsh side is my kind of you know is my number one love. I guess, over over the Dragons and then I like to see all the regions do well, but it's I I know, you know, if you're a season ticket holder at the Liberty or at the Arms Park or or Rodney Parade or Park of Scarlets, you know, you wanna see your club do well and you wanna see the players that you've produced pull on your jersey and go out and give you a give you a cup run to remember. So it is difficult. As I say, if I was pointing the finger of blame, it would be at the the European organisers rather than necessarily um, the Union for trying to to look after those players. So it's a really, really tricky one, but that's kind of where I see it. We have got some more questions as well, which is fantastic. And I seem to have uh, managed to get through 20 minutes of this unscathed so far. So I reckon let's take a quick break and after that we'll have more questions to get stuck into and we'll be having a look back at some of that European rugby this weekend and how the Welsh sides got on. So all of that is coming up after this very quick break. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Attack in Scrum. Welcome back to the second half of the Attack in Scrum podcast with just me, Jed, this week. I won't be making a habit of doing this on my own. It is so much tougher. really is. And hopefully you're not getting too sick of my voice and I'm not going over the same points over and over again. So to try and stop that from happening, let's take another listener's question. This one is from Richard Needs, who I know listens from Australia. So yeah, great to have some listenership uh, from some far-flung places. That's awesome. And yeah, Richard said, what are the chances of an All Welsh Challenge Cup final? Blues versus Scarlets would be great. Yeah, I mean, what about the Dragons? Of course, into all of this. Do you know? What? I think it is really good for those sides to get a win. Though I watched the Scarlets game yesterday, and it was it was a a good cup tie actually in many respects. I thought there was some horrendous refereeing in there. I really didn't think the uh, the Irish referee had a particularly good grasp of the game. I think it was Gallagher, I think his name was. He, I think he struggled to get hold of the game, really. And um, it showed there was a lot of inconsistency, particularly at the breakdown. Again, that's another one of my favourite gripes. But... It did look as though it was uh, it was a bit of a free-for-all in there. You know, There was one point in particular where you had kind of Blade Thompson completely trapped in a, in one of the rucks, not playing the ball, ball available, and he pinged them for a penalty. And then 10 minutes later, a similar scenario, and you've got a, an Irish player lying on there, impeding the ball, and nothing gets given, at which point he's already slowed the ball down. So it was a bit of a shocker from a refereeing point of view, but a good win that for the Scarlets. And likewise the Blues, unfortunately, I haven't seen this game and I'll have a bit of a rant about that in a second, but good result, get in the way, plenty of tries, good convincing scoreline, and I think they'll fancy this. There's no secret that the Blues like this competition. They've won it twice, and it's the kind of thing that it suits the Blues' style of play, I think, when you sometimes have sides perhaps come out and throw the ball around a bit more so it becomes a bit looser, I think it it's a bit more of a, it can be a bit more of a free flowing competition than perhaps the the Heineken Cup the, the Champions Cup. So I think that plays into Blues hands. The more the more loose a game is the more opportunity they have to get the likes of Jared Evans and and those kind of those players who, who love a bit of broken field in front of them to get into the game and and really kind of tear sides apart. So I think both of those sides have got an interesting an interesting path and to get underway with with wins there is really, really good. And for the Dragons' confidence, I think it's really good. You know, whatever competition it is, the Dragons have been, you know, as I said in the the first half of the show, there's so few wins that Dragons fans have had to celebrate of late that it's great that they've, they've been able to get one. I know that French sides have a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with this tournament. They either tend to go on and win it, or they don't take it seriously at all. But you you play what's in front of you. You know, Dragons had to mix their side up. A lot of injuries there, and still don't, as we said, don't have the Welsh contingent back yet. So three really good results for the regions within that within that competition. And I think the next round of fixtures is is really really crucial. So the next round of fixtures is kind of where you think. This is how, this is how seriously I'm going to take it. If you can get two wins out of two, then you think right, we could be onto something here. And it does it does open up some extra gate receipts if you get to the quarterfinals. Again, you know we say Cardiff Blues have got a good a good record in this competition. Well, Dragons have had some pretty good cup runs in it over the years, and in you know in the last ten years when there's not been a lot to shout about. There has been those 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 great wins over Cardiff there was a, a great win over Gloucester of course, and so I think those those kind of cup runs can do you can do you the power of good so I think after kind of two after two rounds of fixtures you've got a good understanding of how far you're potentially going to go in this tournament, and thereafter you can kind of adjust your side accordingly and and see kind of how. Um, how seriously you're going to take it? Just having a quick look at the next round of fixtures. So, Scarlets are away to Toulon, which is a you know, which is a tough one. We, you know, three Heineken Cups they won in was it in three years or well, certainly in, in very quick succession. So, it'll be interesting to see what kind of team sheet both of those sides put out. Dragons are away at NSA, the the Russian trip, which I know will be logistically a nightmare, but at the same time. Opportunity to back this up with another win, so that's a really good uh, a really good opportunity for the Dragons to get two wins out of two and another home fixture for Cardiff. Sorry, not another one, a, a home fixture this time around for Cardiff. So they take on Leicester, and you know that's that's a big fixture. I don't care what anyone says, Cardiff Blues versus Leicester is it doesn't matter what competition that's in, that is a big fixture. And hopefully they can get a good gate down at Cardiff Arms Park and Leicester got off to a win too. They ran in a load of tries. Jonah Holmes got a four, I think, which again is good from a from a Welsh perspective to see a player who missed out on the World Cup getting on the score sheet. So that's going to be a really interesting one. I think that you know hopefully Cardiff Blues can get the win there. And being at home, it's a really good advantage. So yeah, really interesting fixtures coming up next, and I'll be intrigued to see what kind of teams the the Welsh regions put out and that will give us a good indication of how seriously I think they're gonna take this tournament. Just sticking with that Cardiff Blues game, that game is being shown on S4C next weekend. Now, if this leads on to my annual rant about television coverage of the, of the Challenge Cup. So I've just mentioned there, some sides take it seriously, some don't, some make their mind up after the net first couple of rounds. Well, something in my opinion that doesn't help all of this is the lack of television coverage it gets. You know, BT have the the exclusive rights for not only the Heineken Cup but also the Challenge Cup in the UK, and it gets very little coverage. This year, it seems to be getting a bit more than it did than it did last season. But at the same time, I just think that when you've got five or six different channels that BT have got, plus Red Button, plus streaming opportunities, it's mad that you can't see these games. Now, I put out a tweet on Friday because. European Professional Club Rugby Association, or whatever they're called, EPCR. E- they had posted a link to a site where you could stream the games, the Challenge Cup games this weekend. Which, do not get me wrong, that is a massive step in the right direction, and this technology is not hard to do. Yeah, you know, I recently, you know, prior to working for myself, I worked for a small production company. They would have been able to have. Executed this right? It's, it's it's years, it's years late this this coming to the um, to the punter. You know this should have been available to to people a long time ago. But that said, look, it's great that it's it's now available to stream. Now, I didn't have time to watch the games live on Saturday afternoon. The two games being played at, at three pm, so thought right, okay, let's see if there's an opportunity to watch them later which, you know, really there should be, and I checked on Saturday morning, and you were able to watch the Worcester, uh, the Worcester versus NSA game from Friday night, so I presumed that you'd be able to do the same with the Dragons game and with the Cardiff Blues game. Got to yesterday evening, wife and child asleep, I thought, right, it's a perfect opportunity to have a beer and watch these games back. They were no longer available. And it's just things like that that really undermine the tournament. I know I'm being slightly, Slightly millennial about this, and you know, we. But this, but this is the world we live in now. You know, you can order an Uber and it turns up to your door in four minutes. That's all you need to do: one click of a button. You can order a takeaway and it arrives in three minutes. All of these things you can do from your smartphone. Yet you can't watch the Challenge Cup unless you uh, unless you tuned in at exactly three p.m. And it's the same. The same goes with the uh, being able to watch the watch the main games which are being televised. This is something that they just got to sort out. I think really there is more competition than ever for people's attention there's you know outside of all the different sports the dominance of football you've got the emergence of e-sports and all this kind of crazy madness you've got netflix where you've got all kinds of entertainment available again at the at the push of a button you've got to make it as easy as possible for people to to watch this so yeah again that's my standard yearly rant about this you just make it easier the minute, the minute the games are finished they should be available they should be available to watch you know premier sports get this right for the pro 14 i've yet to see a compelling reason as to why the top flight european association of uh, of european rugby you know the highest level of of club rugby in europe cannot get this right it's just it's just simple and again that that's something where to go back to the point about cvc that is something i would expect them to get right if they're investing in the pro 14 they're going to want they're going to want it to be available to an audience who are, who are paying for it and if you if you they when they when they were involved in F1 they put it all behind a paywall or the vast majority of F1 coverage behind a paywall so you could well expect that to happen and if punters are paying for it really I think they expect to be able to watch it on demand and to be able to watch multiple different games and for it all to be readily available that's the, that's the world we live in now so that was hugely frustrating, but nonetheless, some uh, some great results on there. Let's move on before uh, before I bust a blood vessel. And yeah, let's talk about this the Sam Warburton appointment, which is uh, a really interesting one. So let me get the exact term because I can't remember exactly uh, exactly what it is that he's he's been brought in to do. I think that should give us a good clue as to exactly how uh, exactly how it's going to going to play out. This news broke on Friday, of course. Um, so the exact his exact title is a technical advisor for breakdown and defense. So a couple of you have tweeted in and asked about this as I said in the first half Murph texted in to, uh, to ask about it, and so did Chris so Murph's point was does it betray a lack of confidence in Byron, Byron Haywood at test match level <laughs> i don't know to be honest with you, and I, I suppose the temptation is to say it does. Because you know, obviously, he's, he's unproven at this level. He's impressed Pivak in what he, they've done at the Scarlets, and he wanted to bring him, bring him to the national setup as part of his coaching team. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the fact that Warburton is the fact that Warburton's available, and, and again, anyone who's seen his punditry work will know the level of, you know, what a kind of a, a scholar of the game is. He know he's a, he's an absolute nerd for rugby. And if you've ever watched him play, you know how good he was at the breakdown, not just in terms of being great over the ball, but knowing when to compete, when to slow it down, how to get away with it, that extra half a second, so that even if you don't win the penalty, you you know you slow the ball down. And I think that skill is absolutely invaluable. And again I think in the past the Welsh Rugby Union would have let this opportunity slide and you know a player like that could have slipped through the net. So it's a big thing for Sam to be to be taking kind of his first coaching role, you know, whether it's a coaching role in title or not. It is really for him to be coming in and and, um, and doing that in the in the national side. But any of those young players sat there in a, a video analysis meeting, and Sam Warburton's telling you what to do at the breakdown. You're going to sit there and listen. So whether or not it's a lack of confidence in, in Byron Hayward, I don't know. Will it enhance the? enhance the knowledge in that dressing room yes I I think it would I, I think there are very few dressing rooms that wouldn't be enhanced by that knowledge and you know knowing knowing what he's what he's like as a character not that I know him personally that well but anyone who's who's kind of played with him and and knowing the kind of captain he was, I think he's a really good calming influence in the dressing room. And and he's so driven that I just think that, that could be a very very shrewd appointment. And and hopefully it will work out that way. So I don't know. I think I think the way you've got to look at it is rather than it being a lack of confidence in Byron, is thinking is it going to help Byron develop? Yes, I think it. I think it probably is. So we also, you know, we know there was a lot of. I don't think it's any secret that the Workshop Union would have liked Sean Edwards to stick around in some kind of role. So perhaps this was the plan all along, you know, was to have someone with a certain level of experience or knowledge there to help Haywood at this level. Now obviously Sean Edwards has got oodles and oodles of experience in a coaching capacity and Warburton has got it in terms of being one of Wales' best players and playing at that, that absolute top level. So look I think it's gonna I think it's going to strengthen strengthen the offering hopefully. Um, yeah, whether or not it's a lack of confidence, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll never, uh, never exactly know the answer on that one. But nonetheless, good move for me. Right, what else have we got? Ah, oh, this is this is a really tough one. This one's from Nick Humphrey. Bit of speculative fun. Have a punt at the twenty twenty three Rugby World Cup squad. Won't hold you to thirty one. Now, this is one I want to do, but I want to do it when I've got one of the co-hosts on with me. So, yeah, to be honest, I really want to put Dan Killick on the spot with this and see if he manages to to sneak Lloyd Williams into that side. I'm going to have a think about it and and chuck a few names out there, though, because I think it's, you know, like I say, it is a bit of speculative fun. So, rather than naming the whole 31, I will have a, a think about some of those players who I expect to be quite prominent within it. So, as I said on last week's podcast, I expect Wayne Pivak to... To try and bring a more expansive game to the Welsh side, and I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Hopefully, it'll be it'll be successful. But that's my gut. And I think in terms of in terms of him doing that, he's going to need to to pick players who are able who are able to do it. And I, I think as we saw towards the end of Gatland's reign, the way he used Dan Biggar in the Six Nations, coming off the bench. Shoring up games, winning them, but having Anscombe on for the bulk of the time in order to, in order to kind of offer a bit more of a a playmaking and a running option at ten. I would expect to see that continue with with Pivac, and I think again he's going to want his nine to be a really attacking threat too. So I would expect to see, in terms of prominent players, I think Thomas Williams has got a really really bright future. Again, anyone who's who's heard me on this pod before will know what a big fan of his I am. And I would expect to see him play a really, really prominent role. I know a lot of people were talking about Reese Webb after the Rugby World Cup and would he have made a difference. And, you know, again, I'm a massive Reese Webb fan and I think he would have. But the fact of the matter is he's not there. And at the moment it doesn't look as though there's any sign of him being there. And I think in Thomas Williams you've got a player who exhibits a lot of, a lot of the same qualities as Webb. He's a real attacking threat around the fringes. Uh, he's got good quick service. And he's got he's got lightning quick pace. And in amongst that, you've got Gareth Davis. I just wonder whether perhaps Thomas Williams might just suit the all round game a bit better. But they're great options, great options to have. So I expect Williams to be a a pretty prominent player come 2023. And I think with that, you will see Anskom Anskom and and or Jared Evans slash Reese Patchell as uh, as the kind of ten that, that Pivac's going to want to go for. I think. That you're going to need to see something different in the centres too. So Hadley Parks has been a good servant, but I'm not sure he's, he's going to last until the next until the next Rugby World Cup, and that's that's going to dictate a lot of this. I think it's kind of the age of players uh, by the time the next Rugby World Cup rolls around, and I think you'll start to see them kind of building now towards that towards that. Um, that twenty, that twenty twenty three Rugby World Cup squad. I think you've got to you've got to start kind of bringing in that that fresh blood now. I saw an article on Wales Online earlier on today where they were kind of talking about Dan Lydia and him putting out, you know, uh, him saying uh, that you know he still wants to play for Wales. And absolutely, I think he you know he he should want to play for Wales. Do I think that's going to happen? I think it's a really difficult one because you're going to want to you're going to want a blood some younger players and there's a lot of strength and depth in that back row so I think it's a really important thing kind of taking into account people's age by the next Rugby World Cup so with that in mind in four years time you know Ken Owens is going to be 36 so that's going to be uh, that's that's going to be difficult you probably wouldn't expect to see him there wynne Jones will be 38 don't write it off but you know again perhaps it will be you know he might target the next lions tour and then kind of go after that. Hadley Parks, as we kind of said, is 31. John, that would make him 35 next time round. John Davis will be 35 next time round, and given his injury record, might be a bit tough. So the centres is a really interesting place. Owen um, Watkin I really want to see kick on. I think he's shown some great potential in defence and a few glimpses in attack. I really like the boy Millard at Cardiff Blues. I think he's got uh, he's got some real potential, and... I'd, you know, I'd love to see him play there Owen Lane I think is out on the wing Is um, whether or not he plays at the wing or centre he's he's going to be a, uh, an international to watch and I, I expect him to be you know to, to play a full part of that and then in amongst all of this you'll have kind of you know Liam Williams age 32 hopefully he'll still be still be doing the uh, doing the business at that age Wayne Wright will still be in there um, I'd expect to see Moriarty in there don't write out Toby Falata being there at all uh, beard will be a, beard will be a part of that squad, so you know it 's good there 's not too many players uh, reach Carey of course so they 're the kind of players I think will, will go on and, and be really strong and then you 've got you know you 've got a crop of um, a crop of youngsters coming through the under twenties as well, and um, Dewey Lane is a, a really interesting player at um at the Ospreys, good hooker and you know, there's no shortage of good hookers down there. I, I, Scott will stop my coffee supply if I if I don't mention him in that. Um but you know obviously the Ospreys Osprey's got a load of strength and depth at, at Hooker, but Lake's an interesting player and I know he's rated really highly in terms of his leadership quality and led Wales to a win over the All Blacks at the under twenties World Cup. So there'll be lots of those players I'll be keen to watch and see kind of how they kick on and um tame basham at the Dragons. You know, he. I, I think he'll get a cap for Wales this season. He's that good. He's had a fantastic weekend again. This weekend, he's got some raw pace about him. He's great over the ball, and he, as he gets bigger, he's a bigger carrier too. Looks to me as though he can play six, seven, eight at club level. So there's some of the players I expect to see in that. But if you want a full 31, please send an angry tweet to Dan Killick and get him to send you his because it's uh, it's about time he does some uh, he does some work on that front. So uh, yeah, get stuck into that. And just what I remember as well, a um, a player who, again, in perhaps not necessarily one for one for the Rugby World Cup in in a few years' time, but certainly someone I expect to feature in the Welsh side this season is Josh McLeod. I think he is an absolutely storming start to the season. In fact, he's only 23, so could well you know could well be um, a part of that side uh, in four years' time. He's done such a good job for the Scarlets. So I've said this for a number of years, but right now I think he's playing as good a rugby as he ever has, looks great over the ball, good strong carrier, great long hair, which I think is, is vastly underrated. And um, I can see McLeod doing what Navidi has done this season, uh, sorry, over the last few seasons. So I can see McLeod making that step up, just putting in performances week in, week out for his club, and then potentially, you know, People are looking at him like I did with Navidi and thinking, yeah, he's a great club player. Can he make that step up? And we know in Navidi's case he's made a brilliant step up and, and looks every inch the top quality international back row forward. I actually think McLeod can can come in and, and surprise people at international level. So again, I'll be interested to see what people think of that. I know he's rated very highly down both. That was Scarlets fans be keen to see what what players of other regions think. But again, we are we are blessed in terms of back row forwards. Ellis Jenkins is another one that you know I wouldn't be surprised to see him captaining Wales at the next Rugby World Cup. He's just you know he's a born leader. When he stays fit, I think he you know he'll get back in that side. He is so good over the ball. And talking about Warburton earlier, he's just built from that the, the same mould. You know he's he's one of those lead by example kind of players, and is so strong over the ball that you know, as long as he can stay fit, he is going to be, he's going to be in and amongst that squad. So yeah, back row, we just got so much, so much talent. Um, and, uh, yeah, very, very lucky for that. So, right. I think we've got one more, uh, I think we've got one more, um, yeah, one more listeners question to get stuck into, and then we'll call it, we'll call it quits for this week. Uh, this one is sent in by Pendragon Data Insights, uh, which I presume is a company name rather than, uh, a less than catchy uh, Christian and surname. Ospreys' lack of squad. Uh, Ospreys' lack of squad um, depth. How can Wales continue to support four regions without a new European league structure akin to Super uh, Super League in uh, in rugby league? It's a really interesting one, and and I think perhaps a lot of that we we mentioned at the start of the show. I don't think it can. You know, I think it. it we needed to see investment in that hopefully this will come in C V C and I want to see that go into the regions and I want to see it going into into creating proper strength in depth and I think that's something else that I I think that perhaps doesn't um doesn't necessarily help this is the uh, you know is it is the, the relationship between the premiership and the pro 14. I still think that gap is that gap is too big and that's not to put any dampener on um on the premiership at all because you know I love seeing those those traditional Welsh club rugby sides um playing on a weekly basis and and there's so many loyal club servants out there but I would say more often than not it's players coming through the academy who then go on to make the the make the the kind of the make the the region's first side and the, and then you know hopefully go on and win international honours after that rather than players who come through the Kind of the the Premiership setup. Now I know that's not the case. I know some players have gone out and have have had some good experience out there. You know, think of you know the likes of kind of Ollie Griffiths at Newport did a you know did a, did a good stint there. And of course, you know you got the likes of Aaron Wainwright who come through come through Whiteheads and um, and then into the Dragon setup. But. I think that that's that's the interesting thing is you kind of got to find that relationship in terms of whether the Premiership is actually feeding through um, talent into the, you know supporting that that base of the pyramid or whether the academies are doing it. So I don't know. My gut says that perhaps investment in those academies and and the coaching at, at those academies is a, is a way of kind of accelerating the growth that's where I really want to see the kind of the money get invested is I don't want to see you know it doesn't particularly excite me seeing I know this sounds mad but even if there was all the money in the world I wouldn't want to see a, a dragon side that was just chock-a-block full of seasoned internationals who come and pick up a paycheck and go and um, I know it sounds mad but I do I you know I would much rather like to see the that young talent from from Gwent get get supported and, and go on and develop and and have a few players in that side who are just are tightening it up and bringing that experience. So it's, it's a really interesting one. But for me, to, to go back to the original question, it is about using the CVC money wisely, investing in those academies and the coaching at those academies, and then also bringing in the odd shrewd signing. And you know, to bring it back to the Ospreys, mentioned this on last week's pod, it is, it's, it's about signing those players like Tyler Ardron, and Jeff Hassler who came in and and did you know a really good sterling job for a number of seasons. Perhaps not the most uh, identifiable players in the world. It's not like bringing in the players like they had you know back in the the early mid two thousands and the the Mike Phillips and the Lee Burns from Wales and the the Jerry Collins and Marty Hollers you know who are absolute top quality internationals. I think you've just got to be a lot shrewder than than that these days. Um, and invest the money as wisely as you possibly can. So mm. that'd, be, that'd be my thoughts. But then you know that's my that's that's just my kind of thought on it. Again, if you've got any thoughts on those, let us know on Twitter at attacking scrum. Do it on Facebook, on Instagram. However, you want to get in touch with us. But yeah, we'd uh, we'd love to hear more of your opinions. That's it for this week. I made it through forty five minutes. Hopefully, without boring the arse off you too much. But uh, yeah, as always, let us know your opinions. Uh, and hopefully Dan or one of the other regulars will be back with me next week uh, when we'll have loads more to chat through. Never a dull week in terms of Welsh rugby. And uh, yeah, if you have enjoyed this podcast or any of the previous ones you've listened to, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out massively. And again, final thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some coffee, then head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. Thanks for listening. I'm off to have a lie down and a drink. And uh, thank you once again. And um, we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.